0: Ah, oh, she... she really liked to drink beer. But our mashed potatoes were always good, and sometimes we had fun. Okay. Not always? So, where's your father? Here. Huh. It It has my dad's chick on it, too. My mom always said that my dad liked chicks, so I put one on there. Okay. I'm going to take you to a really nice place with other children who are like you. Kids who have
1: no mom or dad.
0: But I do have a mom.
1: Uh, Your mom is gone, Ikar.
0: My name is Zucchini.
1: Zucchini. Did your mother give you that name?
0: No. You can call me Raymond. Did your mother give you that name? Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, be. afraid. be. very afraid.
0: There's nothing to fear be. God, whatever that means to you you
2: You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God.
1: Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast, At the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your fear of God hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, Reed was here a minute ago, but he did say something about how he needed to wiggle around a little bit, which I I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. will see what that means. I don't know what that means, but we'll find out. I'm sure. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into what saves us. The second of a pair of overarching series this year, this time featuring films and media that nurture your wonder, that invigorate your awe, that enrich your humanity, not to overstate things, but that are saving you now. Last week, we sliced open the wolf's belly with friend Blake Collier, and today we are stacking up empties with one of our favorite Canadians, former lost boy himself, Dave Courtney. Welcome back to the show, Dave. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, always a pleasure, Dave. We've got an exciting conversation and some exciting announcements coming, but do me a favor and hang out in the plant room, okay? It's the bedroom down the hall on the right. First one, you'll see it. Hang out there a a minute while I remind the listeners that here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for right now when I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can watch The Fear of God on YouTube and you can browse The Fear of God on the web at the fear of god podcast.com where you will find raid hey buddy <laughs> hey, hey. you vous français what yeah did you wake you wiggle? we oui, oui. i d-
2: mhm i did you, i will not I, be demonstrating said wiggle but I, sure it okay. happened okay, so. things things were said and done <laughs> okay well
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's we'll like i never know how listeners. to respond when somebody said they do the wiggles and go of where they want to there reed dave's here Dave,
3: hey
2: reed's Dave. here. it's so good to see you
1: it's say reed's a very
3: agreeable individual <laughs> i do <laughs> yes
1: i agree i agree probably far <laughs> too much Ever the diplomat, Rere. So, Reed, uh, uh, we Mm -hmm. we've got this conversation we need to get to about this movie. Then we're going to give Dave the floor here in a few minutes. But we've got some business Mm. that we Mm. need to attend to. Then we need to go off to merry old England. That's right. (laughs) For a minute, (laughs) yeah. Say (laughs) (laughs) them (laughs) all. Biscuits. (laughs) all right so first we got some business um i why don't you do the one and i'll do the other well which one do you want me to do (laughs) exactly okay so
2: um why don't i do the one that is relevant to our guest okay okay so um dave welcome we're glad you're here um so we would like to make a a formal sort of uh a, you know in-person offer, which hopefully you accept because it'd be really awkward if you didn't. Um we would like to uh give you a promotion if you if you would be so inclined and actually bring you on to the Fear of God staff community, if you will. And we have a special role that we have just in mind for you. So would you like to hear what it is? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So uh Dave's last name is Courtney. And so we are, uh, very inclined to say, because if you, if you're a member of the Fear of God Facebook discussion group, and if you have seen you some be. of the things that you should be, and if you've seen some of the things that Dave has been sharing, uh, there have been Many a movie recommendation of films frequently that I had never even heard of that I would say, Oh, wow. I I really want to check this out now. And, uh, many a time Dave would suggest something. And then sometimes when he's debating a particular, uh, point or a particular perspective on a film, he makes these really absolutely ironclad arguments, really hard. Even if you come to a different conclusion to disagree with his train of thought. So that's because Dave is a very, very thoughtful man. So we decided. That, um, you are going to be the fear of God legal counsel because of all your strong arguments. So that is uh, what we're going to do. And, uh, first of all, do you accept? Will you, will you come join us in this journey?
3: Yes. And my wife was not at all surprised with that title. As highly as awesome.
0: the, the legal <laughs> <laughs> of awesome. character, <laughs>
2: um, and uh, and and also kind of extending from that, we'd like to uh, announce a uh, sort of uh, preliminarily an upcoming blog series from one Mister Dave Courtney to share all of those wonderful things that we are seeing on Facebook, which probably will continue, but also uh, in a little bit more formal fashion on the website. Um, so we're announcing a blog series called "Holding Court." Get it. Dave Courtney, Holding Get Court. It. Got it's it. so awesome. We're so clever. I love it. So um, it's going to be Holding Court where Dave will be sharing his thoughts, uh, kind of a la what you watch and read and listen to or whatever, but sharing his thoughts on media uh, in various forms and fashions, sharing where you can find them, sharing his thoughts about them. Um, so Dave, first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to come on board the team. We're extremely happy to have you. And listeners, be on the lookout for the upcoming blog series, Indefinite Exposure, which is going to be called
1: holding court by dave courtney so we're really excited hopefully you're excited too that is very exciting and uh holding court is going to start probably in the next two weeks uh but before we get there dave is actually going to do the afterthoughts for the film we're discussing today and that will hopefully be releasing this friday or this coming weekend and you know before the next big announcement dave i did just want to piggyback on that you know and and to embarrass you a little bit on the show here in in full transparency reed and i for months have have discussed our how much we value your presence your thoughtfulness your voice uh in the fear of god community and just what a uh, boon it is to and you know maybe you feel this way hopefully but you know every now and then you're like that that guy that guy he's we 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 good people, with with the same, with the same, you know, it's, and, and I, I felt that the first few times I read your material, I was like, dang, this guy gets it. And, uh, so, you know, couldn't be more thrilled to kind of formally welcome you into the fold and, and have your words maybe hit a bigger audience though. I don't, I don't know. I haven't, <laughs> or maybe you're doing us a favor. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, uh, welcome to the party. Thank you so much for your thoughtfulness as we engage these subjects here at the show. So, that's exciting news. Um, I did want to pivot real quick. So mm-hmm. another, another, another code reading I've been trying to crack for a while. That mm. we think we think we think we're we're honing in on this. So Maybe. we got real jazzed uh, by the uh, party party vibe we did for the '80s shows mm-hmm. and or for the '80s series we did this summer, and uh, uh, all of those were exceptionally fun. But there was something particularly noteworthy about the uh, trivia contest, the Stranger Things Trivia we did. Uh Jess Fishley was on there, Vera Gowdy was on there. Um, Vera did amazing at that game. And um just <laughs> uh uh wanted to try to figure out how to capture that energy again. And so the de- the finest details are are TBD, but foggers get ready for the first ever not just live event you can partake in but fear of god halloween party late october late october fear god halloween party first annual we are going to get, get get the gang all together start mm-hmm. checking out the website uh a la the uh what scares us what saves us banners survey banners we've done in the past um that's going to start popping up here in the next week or so because there's going to be a bit of a process we you know the internet is is a crazy place and we don't want just anybody signing up so there's going to be a, a stepped process to be able to come to the fear of God Halloween party but it will be taking place on zoom it will be live i.e it won't be some pre-recorded thing that's going to go up it's going to be participatory um, the night of um and yeah the date is still a little in flux but as you would imagine anticipate late October into the Halloween week zone uh, but I'm I'm extremely excited we Reed and oh, I have absolutely. been trying to Figure out exactly how all of it's going to go down, but uh, start planning now, maybe for a costume party, you know, Ooh. maybe for a costume contest. Um, I know Reed and I were great at that. We really rose to the occasion <laughs> on the 80s parties is there, but uh, uh, it's going to be a grand old time. Reed will be there. I will be there probably. Hopefully, perhaps Dave will be there amongst uh, many other fr- uh, friends and foggers. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Oh, uh, <laughs> me too. It may fall flat, but it's going to be worth the effort regardless. So,
2: <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, I would just like to add, just piggybacking on that, that more details about that will be emerging uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, so for right now, we just wanted to kind of put it on everybody's radar that, yes, uh, a Halloween party, it will not be like a, like a recording. It's, it, it's just going right. to be an opportunity for us to just get together uh listeners friends of the show uh, uh fog staffers whatever get together and have some fun for halloween so more details about that are going to be coming out uh eventually However many years down the road, uh, there's ultimately going to be a vision for an actual, uh, fog meetup of some Whoa. version Whoa. somewhere, but that is, uh, that is miles and miles away. So in the meantime, thank God for virtual capabilities. Um, and so that's what we're aiming for. So, uh, yeah, go check out the website. Um, and, uh, we'll be rolling out some more details about that as the weeks progress, as we get closer to
3: it.
1: So that's exciting. yeah, yeah, Dave, that's are, you, are you excited, Dave? I am. You're on staff Uh, now, so you have to say yes.
3: uh, Yeah, but I've already wasted my uh, Marty McFly on the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm probably going to come. Yeah,
2: I'm probably going to come dressed as Ernest because, man, I love dressing up as Ernest. Like, like that's probably going to happen. So, uh, so yeah. Because once I landed on it, here's the thing. Like, I think there's a lot of pressure to be like a different Halloween costume every single year. But once you land on one that just feels right, it is really hard to pivot away from it. It's like, oh yeah, I could go to something else, but man, it was so fun to be for me. It was like it was so fun to be earnest. And it's like I just looking for an excuse to be earnest every year, and Halloween affords me. So, <gasps> so,
3: Marty, so. Marty McFly definitely falls in that category.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there it goes. There yeah, it goes. you can you can you can brush off the shades, the the life jacket. Um. <laughs> All right. Shall we? <clears throat> this week on TV Guideposts, we venture once more to Mario, England, where the Richmond. What are they? Greyhounds? Am I making that up? There's some sort of some sort of dog animal mascot uh, are once more out on the pitch with ye old gaffer Ted Lasso. As we explore specifically episodes five, which is called Tan Lines, and episode six, which is called Two Aces of Season One of Ted Lasso. <laughs> you're like, oh, they great I love how y'all so just they... left me hanging. Yeah, I thought it's... someone would be like, No, you're right, Nathan, or no, you're wrong. Like, either would have been okay. No. I, I, but I had whatever. I had you went to a place we could not follow because <laughs> I had <have> no <laughs> I have no
2: insight into that. It's 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 like you know it's like raising the question somewhere. It's like, hmm, wait, is, does the carburetor go on the left side of the car? Does the carburetor go on wow. the right side of the car? Yeah. I'm like, I
1: I I, I don't. know. What's have, really funny is you probably contribute. even just posed that question incorrectly. That probably guess, yes. Yeah, right. you're like <laughs> the left or the right side of the car. Like <laughs> the carburetor is
2: <laughs> is on your wheel.
1: Okay, like it's, it's something. It's like I know so little about cars. I'm like I'm like that's the thing you steer when you sit. Oh. Mm. So anyway, we're talking about episodes five and six of Ted Lasso season one. Dave, uh, uh, this is your first, uh, uh, conversation with us as we've been walking through this season, remind us slash remind me what was your Ted experience previous to maybe watching it for this run or, you know, what, what was your experience thus far?
3: Well, I, I started watching it when they first released, Okay. Uh, I kind of felt like I was the only one watching it because every time I <laughs> would go online, uh, somebody would be complaining about another having to sign up to another service, um, oh, mm. and uh, so I felt a little bit alone. But then you know it started catching fire and people were talking about it. But for me, um, it took me about I don't know three episodes um, to really get into it. Not that I wasn't it seems enjoying. Seems to be a thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was enjoying it, but, uh, I think by, which is fitting. Cause by the fourth, fifth, sixth episode, I was definitely all in. And, uh, it, I mean, even rewatching it this time, you just feel the pull of the show. It's like, well, I know I just had to watch two episodes, but now I want to keep going. <laughs> yeah, uh, got exactly. That, got that, uh,
1: that draw to it. So yeah, that's, that was kind of my experience. <laughs> It's funny you say that because we are recording this episode, this podcast episode for episodes five and six of Ted. And then immediately after this, Reed and I will partner up with a buddy to do seven through 10. <clears throat> and so I've watched the last half dozen of the season just in the last few days. And, and my wife is a huge Ted Lasso fan. And, and two nights ago, I had two episodes left and it was like 11, 15. And she had joined me on the couch for them. And I started to wind down. I was like, oh, I'm done. And uh, she's like, really? Like, she started giving me crap. Like, I couldn't <laughs> hang. Like, no, you are right. I, I can't. <laughs> I want to go to well. bed. So, 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 no, I'm with you. At, uh, or she's with you, at least, you know, in terms of uh, uh, the compelling, the compulsive nature of, of continuing it. Um, it draws you right back in. Couldn't agree more. If I can... Uh, uh, take the lead here uh, yeah, episode you may. five, you know, th- th- this recurring theme and read, you even just referenced it of the uh, uh, seems to be uh, a through line or however you phrase it of people's locking in after a few episodes, right. I was definitively enjoying it after a few episodes, but something about episode five pushed me over into ardent a- appreciator and fan of this show Mm, mm. uh 10 lines the 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 premise of this particular episode is ted whom we know up till now at least peripherally has some some marital struggles that are, are at work um this episode features for the first time i can't remember they're not on screen at all before this right yeah i don't think so uh
2: not on screen no yeah um
1: his his uh estranged or in the middle of a separation wife and son come to visit him uh and that's sort of the arc of the episode and i think i was just in my initial viewing really unprepared for how hard they steer into the the vein as it were of the emotional through line of this show and so i would sort of point to episode five as just it 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 kind of bowled me over the first time we watched it in 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 some pretty particular ways, uh, but mainly I just want to highlight for me as as Blake did last week for episode three and Trent Krim um, on that super uplifting episode about the movie The Woodsman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, episode five was the one that really changed. Conversation for for me as it related to the show, it, it was just a really powerful episode. I don't know if y'all had any of that energy. The same.
2: uh Well, I'll I'll, I'll pick up that baton. Like honestly, uh, so yes, I was already I've shared before. Like I was already bought in on the show by that point. Um, what impressed me the most about episode five, and specifically the way that it handles the relationship between Ted and his and his wife, um, is. Most of the time, when we are privy to the the dissolving of a of a marriage on screen, it usually involves some big, profound trauma. Something that has happened either, you know, one of the spouses has been unfaithful, or there's been some massive betrayal of some sort, if not infidelity. Um, and one of the things that I really appreciated about this is it dove into this conversation with two people who generally seem by all accounts to be good people. We know Ted to be, and what little we know of, of his wife, she seems to be a good person. It's just that their relationship seems to not be doing what they had hoped for it, and it's it's, it's just not working for them anymore. Now, however many uh, however many feelings people may have about whether or not they should stick it out, we also know that they've gone to therapy. We know that they've been trying to make it work. And, and I just appreciated that here was a, a display of a very difficult season in these two people's lives that didn't have to point to one of them being the bad guy. Naturally, if you're going to lean on that side, we know more about Ted than we know about his wife. So that's probably where things would lead if people, if just for the general audience. But neither one of them are really, really presented as a villain. It's just presented as people who have come to a decision to go their separate ways. And I appreciate the sensitivity with which they displayed that. I appreciate um, the fact that neither one of them needed to, to make some big villain out of the other uh, even following, and it's in the very next episode, even following their decision that they are going to go their separate ways. Um, she's still, you know, from across the miles, she's still supportive of him, as a person, and she's still, yeah. you know, at least presenting verbally, like, hey, we're rooting for you, we're watching the game, you know, so this seems like there's a real effort at amicability, it seems like there's a real a real effort for them to remain uh, friends for their son's sake, and just for the sake of, of their life, and for the love that they'll probably always have for each other, but just recognizing the parting of ways that they're coming to, and I just appreciated that that it didn't fall into so many of the easy traps of when marriages break apart.
1: Well, and Dave, I want you to speak, I promise. But uh, I think I think uh, I think a thing that really rang out to me about this episode is how well the creators know what they're doing, meaning it really impressed me that they were willing to say Ted is a particular type of personality that is not going to work for everybody. You know what I mean? Like, right, right clearly it's more than simply his personality but that's that's a lot of what he verbalizes which is Mm -hmm. I kept trying I kept trying the you know hopefully I'm not being hyper reductive or missing the mark there but that seems to be the a general point is the the type of personality he is really made it hard for them to 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 sync up Mm -hmm. um and I I guess I was just really impressed with the willingness to to kind of show that yeah absolutely absolutely Dave what do you what do you think
3: well, I think part of the strength of how they depict that whole marital struggle thing too is how it uh, parlays that into the, um, you know, and largely by way, I think, um, using the, the sun, um, mm. there's a really, it's a really quick scene where they're in bed and the sun is right in between mm-hmm. the two of them. And I mean, you obviously have moved from this, um, you know, this tear belt moment, and you just see him, uh, if I'm correct in that moment, you see him uh, crack a little smile Mm -hmm. in lying in bed in what's a, you know, what's a a terribly tough and horrible moment. And the whole focus seems to be on the sun right in the the center. And and the sun kind of um, is used too to bring us into the football team, like his role as a coach and i think that's mm-hmm. where i think that's where it works um uh, doubly is strong because it's not just about the marriage but it's using that like thematically to say something about um who this guy is as a coach and uh and then just kind of placing that into the context of his relationship with the not only his son but the the players as well yeah and i think you know just the way they wrote that into. You know, sometimes um, things are thrown your way, and you gotta be willing to change and mm. uh, perhaps pivot and um, figure things out on the on the go, like the way they worked that into the speech. Mm-hmm. The team, I thought, was yeah, really, really well done.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've spent a lot of time, understandably, on the the sort of the main the the biggest thing about it uh do you if anybody has anything more that they want to say about that then i I certainly don't want to steal that thunder but i just wanted to mention a couple of other things if we if we can to um you know that are in this episode that aren't related to the relationship so um first of all we see the first seeds of uh the keely and roy Mm -hmm. dynamic that's gonna gain steam throughout the rest of the season so really like some of the some of the ways that starts um, and you see it right from the beginning. You see the chemistry from like the first time, even back when she was still with Jamie and they had some interactions, you still saw the chemistry that the pair of them had together. But I really like that. That's actually starting to go somewhere in this. Um, I absolutely love the scene when for the sake of the team. And I mean, it it has such a great payoff too, for the sake of the team, Hmm. Ted makes the decision to pull Jamie out. Like it's all, He's he's been struggling so much to get through to him and then finally making the decision to pull him off of there because he's all about me, me, me. And then that being why they won the game and how they won the game. Um, it's just, it's, it's a really, really exciting and, and affecting kind of thing. Um, and so I, I I loved that. I love that whole scene where he's running up to the bleachers and then how everybody thinks he's just so idiotic for pulling Jamie off. But He's he's actually got uh, and, and, and it even comes back at the end when that that one belligerent townsperson uh, uh, walks around. And he's like, you know, and he says, hey, Wanker, good job, you know, tonight. Mm-hmm. You know? And then and this is right after Ted has has definitively declared to his wife that they can go their separate ways. So he's just in an emotional state sitting there on the bench with Beard um but then gets that affirmation that something is working and i love even in that moment even when he's in the depths of the moment he's like yeah keep watching maybe we'll turn this thing around i'm just like man god that's the, it, it's it's a great portrait to me of his hard hard fought for optimism like mm-hmm. it's not something that is automatically intrinsic it's a perpetual choice that he keeps making Um, and as we see, uh, throughout the course of this season and it becomes even more clear in season two, which we'll talk about eventually, um, it, it it actually comes at a cost to Ted. And I think the, the show was planting the seeds from that, uh, along the way.
1: So really love that about it. We should tip our hat to, uh, the great Roy Sam moment on the field when Roy pauses him before getting up, Sam (laughs) ostensibly gets hurt and just, that's going to have such a great payoff later in the season um <clears throat> anything else on episode five? Ten i do uh,
2: i want to give dave a chance and if he has nothing i have one more moment i want to mention
3: oh i was just gonna um maybe tack on to this i i might be leading into episode six too here but um the uh i, I that's just an example of how they use that relationship with his wife Um, you know, that, that line that sticks out for me there is that it's important for him to recognize that he's not quitting. Mm -hmm. Mm. And that I think plays into his decision to pull Jamie and sets that up for a relationship, you know, down the road, because that plays out in the, you know, in in the coming episodes as well. Yeah. That he's not just giving up on this kid that he's, he's, he's not Pulling him in to make a statement, but uh, there's actually something richer going on there underneath. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we get that sense of, of Ted as a character from that line in that relationship. Um, you know, it's not meant to elevate him above his, you know, his wife. It's just uh, it's supposed to make a, a key statement about um, the kind of character he is and the kind of person he is. Mm-hmm. That's it up for those other relationships.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. The one small moment that I wanted to mention is I love after they, um, after it's clear that they're going to win, uh, when Nathan jumps into Ted Lasso's arms. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm just so excited. And then <laughs> then Even right after that, Ted like turns him around and hands him to Beard. And he's still got like his knees up and everything. And he's like, "Woo!" his beard like carries him away it's such a delightful little moment so just love that so much i had to
1: mention that yeah no i love it uh uh speaking of things i love episode six two aces introduces us to no 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 danny rojas danny rojas (laughs) what 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 a great entrance i mean there, that that is such a well structured in terms of the arc of the season and the the ebbs and flows of it. Like Danny mm-hmm. Rojas entering the narrative is just like wind in the sails. It's so
0: good,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Oh man, he is a he is pure delight.
2: He is mucho mucho <laughs> joy from the very very beginning. I love him so so much. Uh, yeah. Dave, what are what are some of your thoughts on episode six?
3: It's similar, I, I'm. I, <laughs> I, uh, I did this the last time I was on, I think, completing these episodes in my head, watching them together, but <laughs> um, I think they go together so perfectly that you, um, you know, watching, watching episode six with episode five kind of caps up that narrative arc and brings it to, um, uh, a nice, you know, full circle in terms of, of how it's going to play up the setup or play mm-hmm. off that up in episode five into like into the game and um, into the relationships that unfold and uh, the curse uh, episode six is the curse one right yes
2: yes mm-hmm. that is the curse one mm-hmm.
3: I, I actually really like that uh, that element because they don't really tip their well I mean I guess they kind of do but um, just you're you're totally in it with the players all the way through just uh, you know buying into this and and in, in, into the lesson and i think it, <laughs> it really kind of lands um you know it lands with the viewer the same way it does with the players at least for me it did um yeah. kind of take away the lesson that uh that he's trying to yeah. <laughs> hand the players but um yeah i really liked how they used it to kind of dig underneath the their backstories and
1: yeah that little- oh, was great great expositional uh uh, construct there well it's funny and, and we can double back into the episode but when I watched this one you know the 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 scene around the fire barrel on the field is a certain resolution well then there's effectively the epilogue which is Rebecca having or you know the other team uh what we learned to be guided by Rebecca having pulled Jamie from the team. Yeah. And and it's funny because that night I watched this, I started to think after the fire barrel scene, I was like, Oh, I can I can turn this off. Well, I can't remember what's going on here. Oh yeah, oh 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 right. You know, I mean that is that's tough, man. And 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 the show knows it's tough because Ted knows it's tough. Like that is not a good thing that happens there. Yeah, that's that's difficult. Well,
2: and she it, it crashes in on her or at least one thing that to her has been a mystery for much longer than it has been to us. It crashes in on her because that's when she finally finds out that Ted has been baking the cookies that he gives to her mm. with biscuits oh, yeah, to the boss, yeah, yeah. because yeah. he says, you know, I hope those aren't as good as the last batch. And then he said, Oh, darn it. I've finally cracked the recipe. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's so great. And that's when, yeah, it crashes down on her of just like, Oh my God, like all he is doing is just giving and being generous. Right. And she right. continues to be so racked by her fury at her ex-husband that uh, she continues to sabotage this. Honestly, that whole sequence uh, of them ending the curse—I don't want to spoil too much of my thoughts, which are going to be shared on the next episode. But for Dave's sake and and just to sort of tee it up here right now, I'll say like that—that that is an—that is a scene that I think is very indicative of the spirit of the show. I've already called it out with last episode, but there's a real undercurrent that stuck out to me this time around of. The, the, the good things having a cost to them. And I feel like this show, one of the reasons why it resonates so much is because these things are not automatic. These, these characters were not simply handed better fortunes. They were not simply mm. handed uh, a better situation. There is a cost to moving forward there is a cost to seeing things differently there's a cost to team unity there's a cost to ted's optimism like all of these things have a cost to it and that scene really represents to me uh in a microcosm how much that is is indicated throughout the show is that they're all having to take things which mean a lot to them and they're having to sort of offer it up in this in this um, albeit probably a psychological ceremony you know because don't know if you believe in ghosts or not, but as Ted says, it's more important that they believe in themselves. Um, but, but it's, you know, they're, they're putting it all in. Um, and the unity that they find at the end of that, uh, again, just indicates something that I've already mentioned more than once, which is just that, yes, these good things come at a cost.
1: Well, you know, one, the things that are offered up to the fire jam as that it's beautiful, it's an amazing scene that really yes. takes a character. You, you, you do kind of, have a great dislike for and suddenly mm. and that that's dave you pointed that out but like what they do in that scene does so much heavy lifting from a character building standpoint yes. uh, that one being one of them but I, I can't fail to mention nate oh a girl once said i look like clive owen in these sunglasses i, I don't think i can do it <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh,
2: so Nate's and then obviously Collins with the whole like my keys to my Lamborghini, and they're like, Are you getting home? (laughs) And then, and then, uh, I just love so much because I love Higgins, God, I love Higgins so much. But he's just like, Gonna miss you, Cindy Clawford. (laughs) 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 The cat thing in there. Oh, it's so great. Uh,
1: we mentioned Danny Rojas, I love his entrance, and I love that Ted's response is, You are a spirited fellow.
2: You know, like, here's the other thing. Oh my god, I'm, I'm. I'm, I'm ultra previewing next week, but like, here's another thing like, even that character who is nothing, he could have just as easily just been a simple caricature. And it is arguable that even through the rest of the season, Danny Rojas is very singular note. But I love so much after we, the audience, feel the weight of, oh man, Jamie's come around. Look how far Jamie's come. We're on board with Jamie. He's part of the team. What? Rebecca sabotaged and transferred him back, and Ted's feeling the weight of it. He's downtrodden and everything. The music is melancholy. And then Danny Rojas pokes his head in mm-hmm. and much more tenderly, much more gently, football is life. You know, like it's yeah. again, it's it's that continued undercurrent of, you know, this is something that we tell ourselves and something that we do for ourselves that cost us something. It's not free and it's not easy, but it is real. And I, I think that's very valuable. I think that's worth
1: considering. So, yeah. It's kind of like his I am group. <laughs> um, <laughs> it really is. Only because of the incredible scripting of it. Uh, a conversation about episode six feels like it's incomplete unless we just say plan. Plan? 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 Plan.
2: Plan? Not plan. Not, plan. Not, not, no, not Plan. <laughs> clon clon <laughs> become a sound yeah what's that called again
1: semantic satiation <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, oh, anything else on episode six dave any any final thoughts
3: no i i think uh i mean especially what you said reed the i think the, the that kind of reshapes how i'm thinking about his relationship with his wife too hmm. the idea that every choice comes with a cost like it I mean, it's not, um, I I think it's easy to walk away from that scene, feeling like it's all okay, you know, easy, um, undramatic, and just kind of they're okay with coming to this place. But obviously, you know, that comes with the cost of something that he didn't want. Mm -hmm. And that plays out into having to bear that, you know, out into his other. Choices and his other relationships and kind of reshaping, refiguring out who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that doubles back down on on the weight, <laughs> even though it's such a simple uh, or undramatic thing. That there's a real weight behind that that the yeah. show writes back into it.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You want to take us out? <clears throat> mm. That has been
1: another installment of TV Guide posts. Guideposts. 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 Guide posts. 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 posts, Post it. Postal. Post. Postmates. Richmond to we die. Richmond to we die. We know we are Richmond to we die. All right. All right. <laughs> My life as a footballer. Oh, it's so wonderful. Here we are in what saves us. And, uh, coming out of old Ted Lasso here, we're going to jump into the produce section with a little film, <laughs> a little film. Oh my God. This movie gets <laughs> such high marks for me just for its runtime. <laughs> it it's a, could a little been, over an hour. <laughs> it could have been garbage. And I still would have been like, yep, go for it. <laughs> Recommend, <laughs> uh, based solely on its runtime, but it is absolutely not garbage. Um, Dave, you know we're in the middle of what saves us, or actually, we're we're we're, we're looking towards the horizon for what saves us here. But um, you submitted for us uh, the film "My Life as a Zucchini," and I want to give you the floor for a minute, or as long as you need or want to. Uh, you know, you can point towards the thematics that we may get to. Don't necessarily dive full force into those, but you know, as you pondered the question what's saving you now what brought this film to mind for you enough so that you would submit it
3: well i it, it wasn't my original pick um and i you know, due to the grace offered me i was able to pivot to this one um, and i think it stood out for me because um uh, well my wife and i years ago back in 2000, 14, 2013. We decided that um, we were going to look into the ado- um, adoption. You know, we were coming off a pretty rough uh, stage of both of our lives. Um, we had, I mean, part of that was was finding out that we couldn't have kids, and so we ended up. Um, there's a long, you know, there's a, a deeper story to how we ended up there, but this film kind of. Um, jumped out because i saw it after we got back from our adoption we eventually mm. um eventually ended up traveling to ukraine um yeah. where we met and eventually came in with our our son sasha and mm. um so this film was one that i watched after uh, we got back and i mean it really kind of uh touched on a lot of what i had come away learning from that process and uh i mean because it really was a a a real life change for both of us in many ways but it also like uh, there were some big lessons that came there uh, came from that um process for us and i think this film just kind of uh, yeah it was one of those that uh reinforced what that whole journey was all about and kind of hit on a, a number of things that were just really kind of resonated in a big way. So when I was um, when I pivoted to it, it just felt like because we're actually uh, every year we celebrate this period of time uh, because we left at the end of August and we got mm. back um, close to uh, November. So wow, uh, that was the process in Ukraine. Uh, So we have a a whole list of uh, things we celebrate in this period. So it was Mm -hmm. definitely top of mind. It felt like it would be a good touch point since I'm thinking about it already. So, yeah, that's That's lovely.
2: How old is your son?
3: Well, he's turned, just turned 20. Oh,
2: oh, Uh, wow. Oh,
3: wow. Yeah. uh, So we, when we first met him, he was 12 and he was 13 by the time he came to um, Canada
2: um, mm, that's wonderful man that's wonderful um, Nathan had you ever even heard of this film before the suggestion
1: you know maybe um, I think I think I probably because because like uh, some dudes just have ESPN on all the time I just watch <laughs> trailers all the time so mm. you know it's not uncommon for me to have been like oh well, yeah I do remember watching that trailer or whatever and Dave, you you wrote about it at least in brief as maybe a cycle of things for a, what a while back. It, it, uh, that it, was that was me. Or was that you? Okay, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, not taking uh, anything uh, away from Dave. Dave's the no, better writer. Right. I whoa, like that that, yeah, that,
2: yeah. that particular thing happened to be me because I partnered oh. up with uh, driveways and right. um, and and uh, a recommendation from Dave, which was uh, light after light. Is that? Oh, um, I'm misremembering the name of the film. Is, is not too important but no,
1: nonetheless i remember the the imagery of it popping up a few places uh but no i was very unfamiliar with it had not seen it um uh yeah so so that was my did, did you how how recently did you know about it read i mean like what what was your experience
2: so the very first and i missed it when this came out but it was actually an oscar nominee for the two, mm. two, for the two thousand seventeen. Uh, best animated films. Um, and I forget exactly what won that year. I was just trying to quickly look it up and I can't remember what won that year. It was probably some new Disney Pixar film, which I'm not taking anything away from them, but, um, but I remember my life as a zucchini was nominated for an Oscar and that was the first time it hit my radar. At the time, as often happens with Oscar nominees, it was not available to easily watch at that point. Like if you weren't, you know, part of the circle of people who would receive like screeners for it or could get out to the theater um, on those limited runs to see it, you you wouldn't have much opportunity to see it. Um, so I had missed it then, but that was the very first place it hit my radar. I do not recall why, th- or just basically earlier this year, it had come up. I think, to be honest, it was one of those things that um, we still have, uh, and this is some somewhat uh, out of date for a lot of people now, but we still have cable in my home. And um, I think it actually might have been that it was just on one of the channels, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, uh, this has been on my radar before, but I've never seen it. And much like Nathan, I was like, it's an hour what <laughs> and so 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 that because it's it's literally like 67 minutes is the runtime and so i was like oh well i'd like to check that out so i did and within the first five minutes i was i was pretty knocked over where i was like oh this is very what i don't know what i was prepared for but it was not this i was mm-hmm. not prepared for such um heavy admittedly um, but like it's really willing to go to some places again, even in the first five minutes that I was like, wow, this is, I see now why this was nominated for an Oscar and I'm only five minutes into the movie. So then from there, it was pretty easy to just stay with it. Um, and I'll say this now, I really struggled to take notes during this film, during this rewatch of it, because I found about 20 minutes through that I was notating every scene. And I'm not trying to be like, you know, Weird about it or anything, but I was just finally like, "Wow, I don't know what scene to mention." There are so many little moments, sometimes that pass by with no more than a minute of runtime that are worth just like diving in and saying, "Like, yeah, let's talk about that moment. Let's talk about that moment." Um, so it was really difficult for me to hammer down exactly what I wanted to highlight because so much of this film is so achingly beautiful. I find it to be so um, heart wrenching in a lot of ways, but it's not. It doesn't ever feel manipulative. It feels very mature in terms of how to express this kind of story. I don't ever feel like it was just anchoring on cheap sentiment. Um, I feel like it it really tried very, very hard to express the realities of the complexity of older children who have been orphaned and the people who try to care for them and the plight of trying to find a family and uh, and I just uh, yeah for for those who have no idea what a film like My Life as a Zucchini is about it might be worth uh, a, a, a moment of plot summary if you if you'll permit me you know a minute here um, basically it's 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 about a child um, who calls himself uh, zucchini that's that's the name that he prefers to go by. Um, and I'm forgetting. Actually, they call him Zucchini so often in the film. I'm forgetting what his real name is. Um, Icar. Icar. That's right. So in the opening scene of the film, we find out that this is a very lonely child whose mom is an alcoholic. And then through a very tragic accident, um, I'm not trying to be reductive when I say you know like it's an accident that he causes, but he causes it because he's afraid, and and his mom is kind of coming after him. Um, and then, yeah. yeah, she's she's drunk. She's coming after him. It's clear she's about to be violent towards him. And so he slams down the attic door and as a result, knocks her down the stairs. And we find out in the very next scene, unfortunately, accidentally kills her. And so now he's left orphaned. And the, we then follow his story as he has taken to a group home with some other orphaned children who like him are a little bit older. Um, I don't know if they ever directly say his age. Do they nine. ever say his age in the film? What? Nine. He's nine. And so there's some, I watched the film, but clearly I was taking too many notes in the early parts of the film. Cause I didn't remember. Um, so, but, uh, but then we just basically follow the rest of his story as he is, as he makes friends in these group home of uh, these other children's stories. Um, and then it, it, it progresses from there to his eventual adoption, which we can talk about more a little bit later. But that's the story of my life as a zucchini.
1: Oh, I love it. Um, let's, let's, because it sounds like we're all going to be on a similar page in, in terms of this film and its brightness. Let's explore mm-hmm. the ways in which it might be, oh, so right.
0: That's so right. It's just so right. It's just so right. That's just oh. so right. It's just so right.
1: And we're back. So uh, this is the part of the show where instead of that ain't right, we explore of the film in discussion things about it, which, would be categorized as that's so right um dave this is your candidate so i'm gonna let you have the floor and you know this is really intended as a what if if you could distill uh whether via scene or a craft element um or how it makes you feel what would you identify about my life as a zucchini that you would say that is so right
3: uh well it's it's not exactly digging deep but it's still one of my favorite scenes is uh when we get the introdu- or introduced to the girl um Camille
1: Camille, uh-huh. Camille. yeah
3: oh. and and uh she gets introduced to Simon and uh, so she says are are you the boss we have to do everything you say you, you catch on pretty quick Simon says, now. That's how you talk to girls.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's <is> perfect.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you know, it's funny. You, oh, I'm sorry. Did I cut you off? No, no. Okay, okay. You know, something that I found really lovely about this that that feels like it intersects with what you're saying, but is not that so right for me is I watched this over two viewings because I'm just there's life is that full and I'm that tired. Well, um, even long. with it, I know, I, <laughs> I know it just took that long. No, I'm not criticizing. I'm, I'm backing you up. <laughs> <laughs> I should have made it. Um, but I didn't anyway. So, uh, the second night I went back and finished it and then just, rewatched uh, just bounced around and watched some some scenes partly for exposition so that i knew his name and his age but also i'm, I'm playing <laughs> with you, but also yeah. just to to remind myself and, and and refresh myself and it reminds me a lot the film as a concept the film as an exercise reminds me a lot of uh i believe it's spike jones direct where the wild things are yes uh yes sure i believe that's, that's right mm-hmm and I remember Spike Jones talking about where the wild things are which is a really beautiful film that and how he described his film where the wild things are was this is not a children's movie it is a movie about childhood Mm -hmm. and I really had that feeling watching my life as a zucchini was one it 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 gets impressively and surprisingly kind of uh, sidles up next to crude in a few places which is just hysterical the way it does Mm -hmm. it uh, so definitely not a quote unquote children's movie, uh, despite its, um, colors and, and, and style and presentation, but just has this equal parts, melancholy and tender joyfulness about it that I found really, really beautiful that in my less cynical moments, in my better parenting moments, I can observe in my own kids, you know, just that, that tension between those two poles and so uh, i say that to to affirm what you're saying dave in terms of how that scene plays out and how kids think of themselves how kids think of each other how kids interpret uh the adult world and then translate it into their own sort of context i don't know i just i found that really beautiful um reed mine's a little bit of a cheat so i'll go ahead and throw it out Uh, um because i was really wrestling with sort of to your point reed like the the, the note taking aspect like there's so much to find beautiful in this that what i came away with as my that's so right is honestly just in a general sense i can have an appreciation for animated uh film but something about stop motion mm-hmm. and something about the presentational aspect of this stop motion this movie would not work if it were live performers, I, right, right. There's something about the visual aspect of it—the slightly distorted bodies, the uh, uh, exaggerated expressions, the simplicity of the world. I mean, in a general sense, I've always been affectionate towards stop motion as a as a medium, mm-hmm. because if you. <laughs> Cause who would do stop motion if they didn't absolutely love the story they're telling? Yeah. Right. right of course. It yeah. is mm-hmm. such a painstaking form to execute well. And I just, I don't know something about, you know, read, you use this, I think in your piece when you're highlighting those three films for the website, that image of the kids staring at the, yeah. the mm-hmm. family. So, so there's that, and there's the scene of these kids dancing in their mm-hmm. dance party scene. I mean, it's beautiful mm-hmm. that would mm-hmm. not work with real people. And there's just right. something about the, the art form that you take this art form and marry it to the introspective, joyful melancholy. This movie has at its core that really translates into something greater, far greater than the sum of its parts. Um, Mm -hmm. so I know that is a little bit of a cheat, but I'm just so entranced by like watching those kids dance. I was like, God, I love these little (laughs) balls of putty. Like (laughs) you're so captivated and, and in love and impressed and awed and compassionate towards these characters in a way that I just don't think would work. Uh, if, if it were live action.
2: No, ab- uh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And to the point about like, you forget you're watching crafted forms of clay. <laughs> like like sure. you forget, you really get wrapped up in them as people, as as characters, as children. I think, man, it's so hard because I, I, I wrote down like four uh, that's so right moments. I think it's because yeah. it's really tough. I think because the other ones would come up in different contexts. The one that i am going to mention is when they're on there and you mentioned the dancing scene before that dancing scene when they're on the uh, the the upper deck and they're just sort of hanging out and again clearly i didn't write down these characters names so i don't remember this one but but one of the children walks over to another child who's there not one of the orphans but one mm-hmm. of the orphans mm-hmm. walks over to another child who is wearing some red glasses and the orphan boy says, oh man, those look so cool. Ski goggles, just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The ski goggles is like, do they make the world seem red? And this other child is just, yeah, you know, I mean, very kind and generous says, yeah, do you want to, do you want to try them on? Do you want to check them out? And so he does, he, the, the, the orphaned child puts, and I, I feel bad that I keep calling him that, but I don't remember the character's name. So I'm just trying to distinguish between the two children. Sure. He puts on the goggles and when he puts them on, out of misfortune at that moment, the other child's mother walks up and she immediately lays into him and immediately is like, what are you doing? What's going on here? Like, are you, are you a thief? What's going on? It's like, no, no, no. He's like, where's your parents? And then in a moment that is so matter of fact, that it's really devastating. He says where his parents are and that like his mom is gone and his dad's in prison. And in that moment, this other mother just randomly is like, oh, so you're a thief and you're a liar too. Like, and you like talk about it wouldn't work in live action. She's crafted a little differently. Like her sure. mouth looks a little different. Like she's, she's very crafted to be a little menacing in just her appearance. Um, and again, that, that, that likely wouldn't have come off the same if it was uh, live action actors. But so she's so cruel to him and then she's like, you're a liar. And then it is, it is heartbreak. Like I felt my gut tighten up as he walks over. He's like, I'm not a liar. I'm not a liar. I've never, and you just feel in the vocal performance, in the body language that they've sculpted for this child as he walks to the edge of the balcony. He's like, I'm not a liar. I've never lied. I've never lied. You feel that that's like a wound for him. He's yeah. not just reacting to what this one person has said. That is clearly something that has been hurled at him by God knows how many people for his whole life. And he's just like, I'm not a liar. I'm not a liar. And you can you can feel the weight of that. Reed, why are you mentioning this in a that's so right? Because I actively teared up when as he's sitting there just devastated by what has been leveled at him so unfairly, the other child kicks over the glasses to him, like Mm -hmm. kicks the glasses across the balcony. And when he when that other child kicks the glasses over to him and he looks over and picks it up and the child as, as it's being, you know, dragged away by the disrespectful mother, uh, the child gives him a thumbs up. Like, yeah, those are yours now. You know, like doesn't even say anything, but just those are yours now. And to, to you called it a melancholy joy. Like that is absolutely what this film is. It is. It hits you with, just heartbreaking moments of sadness and melancholy and is just as likely in the very next second to hit you with so much hope and joy and sweetness of spirit that it disarms you. And, and it is that it is like the child, you know, like this is not a, that's, this is not what I was going to mention for the, that's so right moment, but it illustrates this other point is when Camille and zucchini are at the shooting uh, range and the, the weight she feels of holding even a toy rifle like yeah, the, the gravity yeah, yeah. because of what has happened to her family. at the
1: carnival. That's right. that's right. Yeah. At
2: the carnival. Right. And she's holding this toy rifle. And then she and zucchini share a moment where it's like, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm my family and she can't bear herself to talk about it. And he said, I know, I know. He just says, I know. And they share this little moment, but then like, almost like you snapped your finger. She's like, I want that prize over there. I want that prize mm-hmm. over there. You know? And, and again, it's just, that's, that's what it's like for a child. It is just the earth has crashed in on them and then almost as a disarming, you know, tactic on their part. I'm not saying it means nothing to them in that next moment, but it's as likely to just sort of pivot over to that other thing. Like, okay, I'm just going to snap out of it now. I'm just going to move on to this other thing. Um, but the but the film has a lot of moments like that that I find profoundly impactful.
1: You know, so, I, I, yeah. I find myself wanting to to throw in there because you were talking about the i'm not a liar and the the vocal performance there i I, in general i found the sound design and the vocal performance incredibly Mm -hmm. powerful and moving i mean nick offerman who in a general sense i do like as a performer um uh, but can occasionally uh, He is Ron Swanson for a reason. And occasionally that will still come out in his (laughs) other work, but you can tell there's a real intentionality around softening his delivery. And, and while he still has this weight of authority as the character he's portraying, it's very tender. It's very sensitive. It's very measured. I don't know. I was just really taken by all of that. Dave, any, any final, that's so right notes before we head out of here? No, just uh, agree with all of that. I had (laughs) the,
3: Uh, well, Reed was talking. I had the uh, the kiss in the uh, in the van or the bus.
2: <laughs> oh, in the bus! Oh my God, that kiss! Oh my Lord! Just like where Camille is. Sorry, you tell it, Dave. It's your moment. Yeah, you tell it.
3: <laughs> no, i was just adding that into that. You know, those, those small moment, moments of of joy that kind of pop out of nowhere and weave um, itself into the into the tragedy of of their stories, like. The scene as well, as that carries carries a lot of weight.
2: No, absolutely. It's a you know, zucchini leans over and kisses Camille when he thinks she's asleep. Has such a beautiful payoff where towards the end of the day that they've spent together, she says when she's sitting on the swing in just this just wonderful innocence of it all. She says, "I was I wasn't asleep." And then they start to kiss again. It gets interrupted in that moment, but it's just all it's just oh man, it's it's lovely. It's so it's, so lovely.
1: It's so so right that's just so right
2: <laughs> that that was i love it, when, a, I, love it a sl- I love it when a plan clap. comes together Wait. yes a slow clap on that on that segment. plan plan plan
1: plan plan a plan, <laughs> plan. I, I can't i you know read like a are to blame for this. You know, that ain't right <laughs> is in my blood uh, five years in here. I, I, I feel the need uh, this movie. That's all about our wounds as children, you know, that we carry through life when Simon, who of course, by the end of the film, you, you are a fan of uh, mm-hmm. uh, starts throwing shade at zucchini when he's up there. And he's like more like potato with that head. Um, mm-hmm. My friends, my brothers, I, I could tell you, like I got the big head jeering, uh, as a as a wee lad, uh, mm. made fun of incessantly when I was zucchini's age for having a large head. So yeah, it it brought some things up when <laughs> Jerk Simon started ragging on zucchini about the size of his his dome. So oh my gosh, I'll own yes. it. That ain't right. That ain't right, Simon. <laughs> it ain't right. All ain't you right. little kids listening to this episode right now, don't pick on your friends for having big heads. Also, <laughs> all you little kids listening I'm glad you're listening, but don't watch these scary movies. It's not good for you. <laughs> Can we um, can we talk Please. about Simon for a minute? Sure. Um, this
2: viewing, this was my second time seeing the film. This viewing, Simon stuck out to me as I don't think it's an overreach to say I feel like he's kind of the heart and soul of the film. Um, he's not the main character, but in terms of just like the journey, the arc that any of them go on, I as a candidate on my that's so right, but I knew it was probably going to come up in other like. The things that he contributes to the story. First of all, I love the fact that he's very antagonistic, as you called out, Nathan, towards Zucchini. Picking on him, teasing him, uh, messing with his kite. He and Zucchini get into a fight and everything. And then when he hears Zucchini's story and when he hears what has happened, then he softens towards him. And they 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 have a real conversation at that moment. Um, he is the one who saves the day for Camille. By hmm, by yep. pretending to give the oh this is her lucky charm you know to her aunt, which we haven't talked a lot about Camille's specific situation, but her situation is so heavy. For anybody who might be thinking like oh this is a a, a kitty animated film, no 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 no, <laughs> like this is a, a film that deals with some heavy subjects. So this this character Camille, her father, as the story goes. Uh, unfortunately in a fit of rage or jealousy, we don't have too many details on it. Her father killed her mom and then took his own life and that's what she's left with. And then she is in the care of her aunt and her aunt is uh, only in it for the money, basically. Only wants to take care of Camille because she gets a stipend for... Being able to sort of foster this child and care for this child, well, then um, the everybody, even the home that Camille is part of, knows that the ant is bad news, and so they they keep trying to express like Camille does not want to go with you, like Camille is a, is scared to go with you, and so they're trying to keep it all at bay. They're worried about their legal chances and everything, and so then when the ant comes out and Simon gives the ant, that little trinket. At first I was like, what's going on here? Because we've known Simon to be like a jokester before. Or we've known him to be like all these other things. So I didn't know the first time through what his intentions were. I was like, what's he, what's he after by giving this thing? Maybe he's just trying to get Camille's toy back to her or whatever. And then when it's later discovered that he hid a tape recorder in the middle of this little toy, a tape recorder that Camille then uses to, subversively record her aunt saying some really awful things to her. And then that is the, basically the, the get out of jail with aunt free card that she plays that recording of her aunt's awful language for the judge. And the judge is like, we're done here. You know, like, no, that's the end of it. Um, The fact that Simon is responsible for all that is just so powerful to me. You know, this character who, to your point, Nathan, the first time we see him is the bully. He's stationed as, The the mean kid positioned as a kind of antagonist, but then by the end of it, it means so much when Zucchini writes him that letter and we see him raise the little mood placard that they have. Mm -hmm. And he finally takes his from all the way at the bottom where it's a, a, a storm, a rainstorm, and he raises it all the way up to the top where it's it's sunny for him again and i just again that's why i think like his, his character is really this time around struck out to me as like the heart and soul of the film which i think was really really lovely and beautiful
3: i think the the uh one of the scenes that, that stands out for me with simon uh, one of the most important things he he's uh, says uh when he's talking to zucchini and zucchini has informed him that uh you know he's considering pulling away to be adopted mm-hmm. and um, you see simon's reaction and then uh you get the scene after that where where simon says you basically says you fool, he, he doesn't use that word but you know you you yeah. can't not go um yeah and then he explains and he, he takes the time to explain here's why You have to go because people don't adopt older kids, and um, that line just really stuck out uh, for me. Because when we were um, going through our adoption process, we started at at an age range we knew it was going to be. It wouldn't be younger than four, and it was it wouldn't be older than eight. So we were qualified to adopt somebody between four and eight years old. Mm -hmm. Um, As the process went on. It was about uh, two years on this side of the border. Uh, so before we went to Ukraine, the process here, as the process went on, they kept coming back to us and telling us to rewrite the parameters and say, you, you need to bump it up. You need to bump it up because once you go down, um, you know, it either works out for you or you're coming back home and you have to restart the whole thing over again. Wow. And so there's a lot on the line. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of, uh, you know, it's a risky endeavor. But one of the things, so we kind of knew in the back of our minds what, you know, we were prepared anyway when we went down, uh, because we had bumped our age range up from age four to age, uh, 16. But when you get down there, like our expectations had been in our mind in, in one sense. And, uh, the process is, is, a little bit crazy because you basically get shuffled into a room and then you get all these pictures thrown at you of kids that are in north or like orphanages wow. and you have to go through all of these pictures and uh, decide um okay this one we would like to meet and you just you, you don't really get much of their stories you don't get much else other than a photo wow. and wow so you're just going through these photos, and um, I remember um, we, we came across Sasha's photo, and I just kind of put it off to the side and uh, just kept going through. But I just kept coming back to this one photo, and uh, so I eventually said to my wife, We need, I feel like we need to go see this, um, this child. And then once you say that, they take the photo and they you know, the worker that's working on your behalf goes into another room and starts to try and work things out. And they're they're trying to work on your behalf. Um, but they're, that worker is going to make sure that it's not a wasted opportunity. You know, maybe this kid doesn't want to be adopted. There's all kinds of questions that go into mm. it. Um, maybe it's too complicated that it's not going to work out. Um, but anyways, that's when we found out that he was 12 years old. So. Mm. We transitioned in that moment because you can't tell looking at a photo, right? Um, Mm. we transitioned to that in that moment from expecting initially a four to eight year old to now thinking about a 12 year old who's going on 13. And interestingly enough, we, we didn't struggle with it, but when we landed and it, it looked like it was working out to go see, um, you know, this child, we made a some we started to let people know like family members and friends uh that were following our journey um you know this is in process and uh when they found out that it was an older child we literally had family and friends on the other side of, of the world <laughs> from mm. us um, saying no don't do it don't do wow. it wow. Um, and it was such a it was such a, this was probably the most visceral reaction that I remember is that after we confirmed that everything was going through, that it was good to go, um, uh, Jen, my wife, she's a school teacher and everybody in her class, like at her school, not in her class, but at her school, like all the fellow teachers took uh a, a, a pool based to guess what the age of the child was going to be. Oh, Wow. Not a single person guessed under uh, over the age of five, and oh, wow. so they. Uh, it was supposed to be this big reveal, and I just remember Jen going on. It was a Zoom call, and uh, everybody was gathered around because they were all in at school, and uh, this was uh, during the school year, and um, they were all gathered around in the break room. And I remember still just sitting there thinking, cause there was all kinds of buzz. Everybody was excited. They're all talking. And um, now all of a sudden they're going through, uh, you know, their, their guesses, they're throwing out their guesses and it's all like four, five, four, five. Wow. And um, the, uh, then she makes the big reveal and no word of a lie. The whole room went dead silent. Like oh. nobody do with it. And it was oh just gosh. like, Oh my gosh this it's is a so real stressful. thing right <laughs> it's real thing to um i don't know why but it you know when you come to these older kids there's a, a stigma that seems attached mm-hmm. to that which is unfortunate tragic in a way but um wow we, i mean we faced it <laughs> we faced it in real time, especially when you're trying to figure out, okay, well now I got all the family members saying, no, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs>
0: <just not>.
2: uh, <laughs> and uh, if it, if it's not, um, I'm about to ask you a question that, that might be a bit on the personal side. And I, I say this in sin- sincerely that like, if you don't want to answer this, we'll even cut the question out of the episode, but I'm, I'm curious how, cognizant of that resistance sasha eventually was were you able to successfully kind of shield all of that was that sort of in the undertone was that something that the three of you had to talk through as a family or was that something that for your household was not even really a discussion point because you know other people can have their opinions or whatever but but you're here and you're with us uh, if you if you don't mind my asking that which if you do again we'll, we'll probably cut the question out but
3: he, um, no, he wasn't aware of any of that because the minute that he got stepped off the plane and, and, you know, walked into our home, um, mm-hmm. and started to meet the, the family, I mean, the minute that, um, is well, I should say the minute that they met him, all of that just stripped and just fell away. away. Like it was mm-hmm. no, no longer even relevant at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's good. just happened in the. You know, the, the connections happen snap of a finger. So, um, mm. I don't, um, that was the case. One of the interesting things that does happen with an older child. Um, we were aware of this is that when you come back, it's almost like you're going, you know, so he's 13. It's almost like you're bringing home a, an eight year old child going on 13 because mm. there's this massive gap that you have to catch up on and uh and not only that but you have this cross-cultural <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. experience that you're working through and mm-hmm. uh and, and starting a new life together then you're also pairing that with this whole you know there's this whole other set of his um of who he is or this whole other part of who he is that you don't know and mm-hmm. you have to bring that along with you while you know while catching up um you know 13 going into grade seven but really that's not where he is i mean socially or
1: sure right you know know, it's it's funny what reed was outlining with simon and that you've sort of illustrated through your own personal journey and one just thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing that and yes um for the good work that, that 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 is in and of itself but something that came to me while reed was talking that just feels even more cemented after this is that after your story dave there or your family story rather is this honestly wasn't a primary theme of mine until until we're in the thick of it now and and in the film zucchini writes a letter to simon as has been alluded to and basically says um you know something like to the effect of you're you're wrong that you can't be uh, a part of a family at the age you are in, in in the orphanage or whatever the school is called he says we love you you are loved mm-hmm. effectively and 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 what i kind of take from that and what an overarching idea at work in the movie that i think is so lovely and, and so apropos and even ties into read your comments about ted lasso earlier is wholeness doesn't mean not wounded right like mm-hmm. Like wholeness maybe is only possible with woundedness. Like, like Simon, Simon can have love expressed to him. Can know love through the community. He will never have a version of parental unit that he maybe needed definitively craved that doesn't mean he can't still be whole even in the face of those wounds that he will carry with him, like woundedness doesn't mean open wound. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't mean you're just bleeding out metaphorically all over the place because of this, this thing that happened. It does mean you're going to carry this and, and, and that that it it won't negate or nullify the potential for wholeness. And I think that's a really beautiful because Dave, as you were just identifying there, Sasha, he, you know, call it woundedness, call it just lived experience. He has a whole, a whole Package of of life that has to reconcile and fold in and and cohere with this new experience of of if we can use that word wholeness now that he's a part of a a, a unit uh, that does love him I don't know I just find that really beautiful
3: and and it it's interesting I'm just thinking about uh, how how that gets that truth gets revealed in the uh, adoption um, relationship, because uh, I'm, I'm thinking back to when you, we, basically the way the process works is when you meet the child, you walk into the, um, the orphanage, you meet the child, and next thing you know, um, they are sweeping you away, and um, you've got an hour to make a decision, that's oh, going wow. to be with you for the rest of your life. What we did not know at the same time that they swept us away to make that decision um, is that they were asking Sasha the same thing. Um, and, the, you know, if you ask him, he basically had, you know, say that it feels like he had five seconds to make that that choice, which just underscores what I think, you know, just listening to what you're saying nathan is that there is no sense of of anything there that you're basing your decision on except that this is an individual that does not have a family and yeah and that this is an individual with a story that we hope and pray that you know can in uh, come together with our story and in, in a way that, uh, will be, um, good and beautiful and, and, you know, the things that you hope for. But there's no sense that you're making that decision based on any backstory, based on anything you know about this child. Right. Any, right. any of that, which is, uh, a bit of a, you know, looking back on it. It's like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, we didn't even need an hour. We probably could have said yes in five seconds, right? Sure. Right. Um, right. Look back on it. But I mean, looking back on it, then you're, you also <laughs> feel like, whoa, it really <laughs> happened that fast. And I mean,
0: yeah, just,
1: that's awesome. Um, yeah. Story. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Nathan. No, no, I, I want you to go where you want to, because I've got a sort of thematic idea I, I still want to introduce here, but I, I don't want to. Well, I want to just say one thing about,
2: so, so we have, you know, a really good uh, friend of mine. I, I, I won't share too many details in case he wouldn't want them known, but he's, he's pretty public about it. You know, our uh, benefactor of the show, Tyler Smith, uh, he and his wife recently adopted twin boys um, and uh, believe that all came to fruition for them just last year and then uh, also i have uh my my former pastor and this is what i wanted to bring up and and just mention because i thought this sentiment was so lovely uh, my former pastor uh they had three children of their own but then they also adopted a fourth child and um i can this stuck out to me years and years and years ago where his wife was talking about expressing to their adopted son you know the the differences between him and his brothers and sisters and 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 how he integrates and is grafted into the family unit as a whole in in a wholeness sense how he's grafted in and i thought this sentiment was so lovely she had said to him well your brothers and sisters were born from mommy's tummy is what she basically said she said but you were born from mommy's heart and I thought that was a beautiful way to, to express that, that sentiment that grafted into the familiar unit um, that stayed with me. I have, I have friends who were adopted and, as I just mentioned, uh, have friends who, who have adopted. And, uh, and I just think it's there's so many other places we could go about the spiritual language of adoption, all of that. And, and you know we, we don't necessarily need to go too far down that path right now or at all, because I want to yield to what you thought you had, Nathan. But I didn't want to leave the subject without sharing that word. Sure. Um, that one statement which I found so beautiful
1: yeah and 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 this I I want to introduce this for all of us to engage with for as long or short as we want to and then maybe can pivot to the fog meter uh and and regardless Dave thank you for your presence thank you for your participation thank you for your story thank you for Mm -hmm. offering up this film for discussion and I, I want to to preface this specific um particularity about the film with I've always loved. You know how, in Donnie Darko, they uh, Drew Barrymore and Noah Wiley. Is that Noah Wiley? Um, mm, yes. Or, or the 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 phrase "cellar door" right gets introduced as one of as you know what the most beautiful phrase in the world is, or whatever. Right. However, mm-hmm. they categorize it. And my cellar door has always been, and yet I am a uh, the phrase "and yet" says so much to me of how even in the face of great tragedy and trauma and and what we think will be the last word there always is something better uh, and yet another thing can come to to override the tragedy and trauma or to graft it into something better and i say that simply to say i fell as much in love with the phrase at the end of this film even if Mm -hmm. and you know Reed you you sort of brushed up against this idea a moment ago but I I think this movie one of the reasons it's so beautiful is that it 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 centers and points to and celebrates this notion that Christ love not Christ's love but Christ's love Christ like love transcends blood Mm. and and, Mm. and 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 courses through and is in concert with those who love each other regardless of relationship or uh, regardless of you know uh, blood relationship and the the movie ends and and as as emotional as i got uh, or rather this scene is as emotional as i got in the film at the end when this character who uh is i can't remember is rosie a teacher or is she just in in relationship with mr paul the the teacher I can't remember if she's a a school staff member or what but an adult woman who is in the orbit of all of these children that uh during the narrative of the film becomes pregnant yeah and and that becomes a, a a bit of fascination for the kids at the school and the very last scene is her I think feeding the baby or or at least holding him his name is Anthony they've they've petitioned amongst themselves to call him Spider-Man when he's born that does not stick uh no Spider-Man pun intended there um but there's just this beautiful scene where these children who have not known uh, uh parental figures that stuck that were present that were there are they they ask her about if she would abandon Anthony Mm-hmm. And the movie ends. This is how the film ends. And read, I remember us talking about maybe it was leftovers. Like how a thing ends tells you what the people who made this story want you to think about how it's gone the whole yes. time. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And this movie ends with this popcorn style recitation of each of these children, probably six, seven, or so, when hearing Rosie will not abandon this child for anything. They say, well, even if such and such, and they always outline some, you know, unfortunate circumstance that Mm. could befall this Mm. kid or their relationship. And she says, no, another kid, even if this, no, even if this, no. And it just keeps going and the camera pans up into the sky and there's another one or two that still linger while it's just on this cloud, this, you know, sunlit claymation clouded sky and I was so moved. Um, There's a a really great Sarah Grove song she's come up once or twice in the life of the show called um, you cannot lose my love and actually the lyrics to it are are, uh, handwritten by my sister uh, on the hung on the wall of our youngest child's and it's it's effectively that it's it's Mm. the lyrics Mm. of the song are these are all the things that you might engage in that might befall you that might threaten this relationship but you cannot lose my love and and that scene just really made me think of that and i I don't know i just wanted to throw that up for us to volley around if desired or if moved to but i was just so comforted um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, challenged by so encouraged to go and do likewise you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um Mm that that you know christ love Will not waver, and and, yeah. and and we get to be emissaries of that, and that's a really really powerful thing. You uh, you invoked Sarah Groves. I, I want to
2: yield for a second and see if Dave has some more thoughts on that. But just piggybacking off of the Sarah Groves, it made that sentiment also made me think of the uh, Rich Mullins song, which was actually published posthumously. It it came out like. I think the week after he died, but it was a song. It was a line from the song called My Deliverer. And the refrain in the song is just my deliverer is coming. But there's one line in there that just knocked me right over emotionally and mentally when I heard it and still does. It says, he will never break his promise, even if the stars break faith with the sky. And there's something about the poetry of the language, but just even if the stars break faith with the sky. He will not break his promise, and uh, and and so your invocation of not only the Sarah Groves song, but of, at the end of the film, uh, even if no, even if no, yeah, even yeah. if no, and uh, it reminds me. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. It reminds me of the, um, you know, the scriptures that says, "Even if I made my bed in hell, you'd you'd find me. You'd sure, find me there." Sure, you know? yeah. And um, and uh, and so just the, it, it's not just about the omnipresence of that. That's a theological. Concept that, that that that's worth uh, wrestling with, but I think there's something about the pursuit that is consistent in the expressed love of of Christ towards his people of God towards his creation of this constant pursuit that even if one leaves the ninety nine, he will go out and he will find that one. Uh, and so the the even if even if even if mm-hmm. even if because of how many people um, sit under the shadow of a. Well, I too too far. Too far for yeah, me. Yeah. No. Uh too much for me. Um and uh and and I just I think it's so affecting and powerful the no, even if, even if, even if, even if. And I just I I find that very lovely. Dave, do you have any additional thoughts or responses as well?
3: Yeah, I totally totally resonate with that. Um I, I'm not to get too bogged down in um the uh Theological part of the, the word adoption. But when I got back, I did a little bit of a deep dive into, uh, into the word and into the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just interested in learning a little bit more about it. And one of the, I mean, I think this fits very well with, uh, everything that you guys have, have said. Uh, one of the things that, um, I think really, um, stuck out to me was, uh because I mean adoption is not a term that we really come to in scripture until we get to Paul. Mm-hmm. Um and it's kind of a unique term to Paul's theology in in the light of scripture. But um a lot of times we forget that Paul is using a term that is deeply connected to the Roman culture that he was positioned within. So adoption mm-hmm. as a practice was really a, a you know, something that emerged and was active within the Roman culture. But what's interesting about what Paul does is that in in the Roman culture, uh, the term for adoption basically indicates how that practice works in moving somebody from, you know, a position where their status is less to a position where their status is now more. And mm. it's a it, you know, the repositioning of someone um, into this uh, status um, as a way of basically benefiting the household structure that the Roman society was built around. Um, so it had a lot to do with the honor-shame system. It had a lot to do with power structures. It had a lot to do with how families established themselves in particular ways and what paul does is he he inserts this three kind of like this three-part picture to what would have been this adoption from you know a to b he brings in uh two other words um because when roman adoption it has to do with the adult son becoming an adult son uh sorry i should have added that in roman culture It basically was adopting adults, interestingly enough. Um, the Mm. adult son was adopted in because, you know, often because another adult son didn't fit the bill. And so what Paul does is he brings in two other words. He brings in, uh, basically a word that implies being, you know, an infant. And then he brings in this other word that implies the process in which one moves from an infant to maturity mm-hmm. and he creates this threefold picture as a way to say in his own words you know even if even if because mm-hmm. um in the picture of adoption that he's presenting which is he ties directly to the story of israel interestingly my deliverer um mm-hmm. you know comes straight out of or paul it would have come straight out of the exodus, exodus story where this is where he's anchoring it in is this sense of, you know, if God was came and initially declared that in the Exodus story that Israel was his children, was God's children, um, and thus he saves them in the Exodus story, what Paul is doing is saying, you know what, here <laughs> we have Jesus, the Deliverer, and Jesus is saving his people in order to call them sons and daughters and saving God's children in order to call them sons and daughters of, of God. And in order to declare that sense of identity and what's unique about what the way Paul frames that in that threefold picture is that that identity comes and it, it strips away any sense of, we need to do something to earn this or deserve this. It strips, you know, it has all to do with standing somewhere in an unseen future where, you know, things, this is who we are. And, you know, this bigger picture that we can't see when we step into this relationship, you know, with God. And, you know, when God is in relationship with us, we don't see the fuller picture, but yet this fuller picture exists, right? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. not dependent on status. It's not there to say, we must be this. It's just a, a whole series of even if, even if, because our identity is already declared. <laughs> um,
1: mm-hmm. I don't know if all that made sense, but... Well, even if it didn't, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, very much so. <sighs>
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, uh, man! There's just uh, there. There's so many things that we could say. I uh, I think this is is probably a really, really good time to move to the fog meter. I I, I do want to just invoke. Um, we don't do this every uh, episode anymore, but I do just want to invoke a scriptural verse uh, John chapter fourteen and verse eighteen. Uh, Christ is talking to his followers at this point, and just very, very directly and plainly says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Um, and obviously, that's in the midst of a, of a number of different things he's expressing to them. I'm not intending to exclude context, but just um, something that I think is is such a lovely, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Um, if you both are ready, let, you want to pivot to the fog meter in this context being the, uh, the new vision of uh, fun of God, <laughs> as, as it were. Y'all both Let's ready do to it. do that? Nope. Okay. Um, so obviously, in uh, before the "What Saves Us" series, um, "Fear of God" was the, the or how we measured scares and substance of a film. Um, in this uh, temporary but long-form series that we're doing, uh, we are expressing this not as fear and God, but as fun and God. Fun being a sort of a general catch-all of uh you know how how much this film uh or this material moves us or inspires us or uh you know maybe even challenges us or just or or is just fun (laughs) um so uh dave this is your selection so i'm going to let you start what would you give my life as a zucchini on the
3: fun meter oh i'm going for a 10 i mean we've already kind of fleshed out that uh despite the heavy topic there is a whole lot of joy to be found in this film too so
0: mm-hmm.
3: i think it's uh, uh definitely effective on on that level there's a lot of smiles and even laughs and um <laughs> definitely a lot of feels that come uh, during its very very runtime yeah
2: it uh it certainly packs a wallop i'm gonna. Um... I'm going to probably land at an eight for this. I feel like it's got a tremendous amount of heart, just an overwhelming abundance of heart. Um, And, uh, and the moments of joy when they come, they hit so strong um, and, and they're really, really very affecting and just so lovely and sweet. So eight for me, what about for you, Nathan? Dang.
1: Um, I'm going to, I'm going to honor my impulse and give it a 10. I mean, Uh you know, I'll, maybe empirically it's an eight, but it's runtime merits two extra points. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, without being cheeky, I just find these, these, these little kids have such personality and, and are fully formed. uh, uh However, malformed their, their claymation, you know, representation is, and there's just such beauty. There's such, loveliness there's such joy i wanted to i wanted to be a stop-motion character dancing with those kids i was so <laughs> yeah. swooning over that scene it's so dumb it's like the music isn't even that like it's like <laughs> cacophonous it is it is like raucous rave style music but they are so in it uh you can tell this is their happy place and i wanted to be right there with them so yeah i'm gonna give it a 10. that's awesome what would you give it for the god meter it's substance me yeah you uh we'll
2: let Dave end it end it all
1: sure um it's a 10. I mean it it there there's there are things that wink towards profundity and there are things that end with characters saying to each other yeah but what if this terrible thing happens aren't you going to abandon your child in this story saying even if that happens no even Mm -hmm. if that happens no even if that happens no you I will not abandon you and 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 that is powerful uh, yeah it, it, the 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 previous sixty minutes could have been awful, and that ending alone would have merited a very high mark here
2: yeah, yeah I know i completely hear you uh, a moment that hasn't been mentioned yet, and I'll mention it to kind of prop up uh it's in in many ways it's been mentioned a multitude of times already uh, talking about this uh the the melancholy and the joy simultaneously uh, towards the end of the film spoiler alert, but this is a film that you should see even if every moment has been spoiled for you um towards the end of the film both zucchini and camille get adopted by the police officer uh raymond uh voiced by nick offerman as you referenced nathan and um so raymond adopts them both and then when they see their home for the first time camille steps into her bedroom and she begins to cry and she cannot speak and she begins to cry and i think it is the, the, the moment is a little fuzzy in my memory. I think it is Zucchini who says, I remember the line, but I can't remember if it's Zucchini or Raymond who says it. I think Zucchini says, sometimes we cry when we're happy. And I think that's so indicative of what this film is aiming for, of the, mm-hmm. the sorrow and the joy married together to create something truly substantive and beautiful. It is an unqualified 10 for me as well, uh, because sometimes we cry when we're happy. And Dave, what about for you?
3: I'm going with, uh, Chan as well. It's, uh, I think there's, um, a lot more that we could even still mine from it in terms of, uh, the whole, uh, what it, you know, what it means, um, to see one another, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, just to step into the world of these, of, of these individuals, these, these children. Um, you know, and not single them out in terms of their, their position in the orphanage, but just to see them as individuals and then imagine this translating into all of our relationships. I think there's some powerful, um, lessons and some powerful truths there to take away that definitely, um, qualify as, uh, definite God factors for me. So.
2: Absolutely. And that means, of course, that we give My Life is a Zucchini uh, directed by, I hope I'm saying their name correctly, but uh, it is directed by Claude Barras. I, I don't know exactly how to say that name. It's, a, 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 I think, a French director, but um, we give it a nine and a half out of 10 on the fog meter I, that is one of the
1: strongest my drawings. heart sank when you said eight i was like dad we were about to give us all 10s and read this. <laughs> you and
2: know read what yeah up. wow yeah you know that's uh, I, I was being <laughs> simon in that moment i was just yeah know, but i'll yeah. come around i'll come but around I, to it you know just here's you know. a question read do you recommend my life as a zucchini oh wholeheartedly like everybody please watch this movie i know you'll be like oh it's animated oh, it's whatever listen this movie is an hour you will be so glad you've seen this movie
1: this is this is such if a If someone says, "Oh, it's animated," they need to watch My Life is a Zucchini. It is <laughs> true the point. antidote to their cynical hard heart. Yes, this is a
2: this is a wonderful, lovely film. Um, it, it, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I could not recommend this film more highly. I think it's wonderful and amazing. I think it should be sought out and paid for to watch. It is a beautiful, beautiful. Well, film. I did that. What about you,
1: Dave? Do you recommend My Life is a Zucchini?
3: yes i do in fact i recommended (laughs) for this show
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i as as a final note and i'll let reed take us out yes i heartily recommend this little film it is beautiful it's you know, uh, it, it it's 65 minutes. If you're an old fart like me, you might fall <laughs> asleep at the 40 minute mark and have to back it up a little bit the next morning, the next day. But hey, it's still worth it. <laughs> and do installments. Wonderful. Just lets yeah. it osmosis, osmosize a little more that way. You
2: know? <laughs> That's right. No, it's, it's such a wonderful film. I want everybody to see it as many people as possible. So, uh, yeah, that was my life as a zucchini um thank you again dave for the opportunity i want to thank you as well as already been said multiple times but thank you again for sharing your story um your vulnerability your you it's always so rich when we get the opportunity to talk to you and I, I just admire and praise so much uh your willingness to to share your story with us we're grateful for it and thank you um and uh, nathan thank you as always uh listeners thank you very much please seek out this film and next week um you know we covered episodes six and seven of Ted Lasso earlier next week, perhaps we a bit five of and a pivot six from, earlier.
0: Right? or
2: five and six, not six and yeah. seven. Sorry, five and six. Next week we are going to be talking about episodes seven through ten, the rest of the season of Ted Lasso. And next week we're actually going to be talking about Ted Lasso. So next week it is all lasso all the time so uh if you are following along with us now is your opportunity if you have been patiently waiting to just barrel through and finish the season i'm sure you've already done that but uh, feel free to re-watch it because next week we're covering episode 7 through 10 and covering a conversation on the whole about ted lasso season one um, so we will be limiting our thoughts, uh, for the most parts, if not completely exclusively, to just season one of Ted Lasso. But that is next week in what saves us. Um, and so, thank you all very much again. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody.
0: See ya.
1: See ya. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at thefearofgod, on Instagram, at fearofgodpodcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
0: Hi, everybody!